Welcome to the Grow My Salon Business podcast, where we focus on the business side of hairdressing. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and I'll be talking to thought leaders in the hairdressing industry, discussing insightful, provocative, and inspiring ideas that matter. So get ready to learn, get ready to be challenged, get ready to be inspired, and most importantly, get ready to grow your salon business. Hey, it's Anthony Whitaker here and welcome to today's episode of the Grow My Salon Business Podcast. As always, it's great to have you here. Sometimes you have to look for words to describe achievements and their status in the hairdressing industry for someone that is way ahead of the pack. My guest on today's episode is one such person, and I'm going to describe him as a hairdressing genius. Sam McKnight is a session stylist that has a list of eye-watering achievements that include having worked with every supermodel you can name, as well as celebrities, movie stars, royalty, photographers, magazines, and fashion designers over the last 40 years. And it's a list that just goes on and on and on. He has so many Vogue covers to his credit that he's lost count. There's well over 250, by the way. He's won awards, had exhibitions, published his own book, and been a contributing editor to British Vogue. And he is currently a judge on the UK reality TV show about hairdressing called The Big Blowout, which is sponsored by Paul Mitchell. And on top of all that, Sam is founder of his own product range, simply called Hair by Sam McKnight. In today's episode, we just talk about being Sam McKnight. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Mr. Sam McKnight. Hi, thank you for having me. Sam, it's an absolute pleasure. You probably know I've been uh, trying to get you on the podcast for quite a while. I know you are an extremely busy man. So thank you very much for making the time, you know, to to do this for us. Uh, You know, first thing I I did want to say is thank you for sharing. You know, I know that you're, uh, you have a lot of projects on the go at any one time, which we're going to talk about. I just want to ask you right off the bat, do, do you ever get taught, sick of talking about your story and your background? Yes, I do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, of course I do. I mean, yeah. everyone knows the story now anyway. I guess there's always some people. Some people are still find it interesting. And I'm grateful for that. But it does get, it does, yeah, you think, oh, God, do people want to listen to me droning on about myself? But what's good is that I, I'm very interested in doing new things. Yeah. So it's not always so much about the past. Of course, there is because I have a big past from, you know, the last, what, 50 years doing this. And that's fine. Yeah. But what keeps it interesting is the stuff that's going on now, you know. Yeah, of course and it I does. For me, that's the stuff that keeps me going. The part, of course, the past is, you know, I've had a great time. It's been amazing. Let's let's um, be clear about that. But it's almost more interesting to be looking to the now and the future, if that makes sense. Oh, that totally makes sense. And that sort of already answers a question I'm going to ask you about later. I, I think there's a lot of value in talking about the past because, you have quite humble beginnings, as a lot of hairdressers do. And when a hairdresser listens to your story, whether they've heard it before or haven't heard it before, and then they see what you've achieved, it it shows them what is possible in this industry. And so I always think that there is value on 
on on touching on your past and i'll i'll, I'll oh, uh... no, I, I totally agree with you i mean don't take this the wrong way i we did a book and an exhibition i guess we started working on that about eight nine years ago yeah. so that kind of four or five years working on that retrospective book and exhibition and was where i really delved into my past like i'd never really done before you know yeah yeah um because what happened was uh, people started posting a lot of old images when Instagram started, you know, yeah. at the beginning of Instagram, a lot of my old work that I'd forgotten about, you know, because it's, you know, it's been a long time mm. and there's been a lot of work under the bridge too. So when, and, and I saw there was an interest in it and anyway, long story short, um, the people at Somerset house contacted me and said, would I, would I be interested in, you know, doing an exhibition? And my first thought was, well, really, someone's going to be interested in looking at all these old photos that I've had in boxes for months. And then they they kind of presented it in a way that seemed very interesting and, and, and you know, spoke to how relevant that period in the past has become nowadays. So we did that. But that was that was quite an emotional journey, if you like, because it was we had 40,000 images to go through. And, you know, whittling that down to 3,000 was quite hard because, because I, I, you know, I'm moving on all the time. And to look at something from 30 or 40 years ago, you look at it, and I remember very clearly the day, the people, mm. whether it was a good day or a bad day, the person there who may no longer be with us, um, you know, I may not have seen for 30 that kind of, it, it brings up all these thoughts that, that have been in a box along with the, the tear sheets for, for many years. So it was quite a emotionally exhausting time. And, and uh, so I almost felt once I had done that, that that gave me the space to move on if that makes sense yeah you know? it does, and, it does. and then the way things have happened since then is we had a couple of years doing that we launched a few products then everything got halted by the pandemic i mean everything just stopped dead in its tracks for most people mm. especially our industry you know we were one of the hardest hit really because everything was closed and even photo shoots weren't happening, you know, it was, so that was, that was sort of, um, that was, well, it was weird for everyone. But I think what I'm trying to say is that once I'd put all those things in their past box, I became really, really energized about what to do next. You know, that, that it, I, I kind of took a major positive out, out of that and, and, and the past almost belongs in the past. So from to bring it right back to your question, so for me to talk about my past now really feels like the past. It really kind of, mm. it really feels like there was a demarcation between book, exhibition, uh, pandemic. My world has changed dramatically, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. And so it's become, and you know, I'm getting older, you know? So it's become more and more important for me to find a new future. Does mm -hmm. that make sense? It does totally. I mean, I uh, you're a little bit older than me, not much, um, and I know you know your background was in in when you started hairdressing in London. Um, that you were at Moulton Brown. Well, I was just next door at Sassoon, 
Oh, um, you were, yeah. In South Bolton Street. So very, you know, like uh, I started there in 1980. I think you, I heard you say you started at Morton Brown mid-70s or late 70s or 77, something. So, and I was 70. in 80. I, I left in 80. And I walked down there the other day and, and they've still got that beautiful, you know, original facades, I guess, yeah. in Georgian. Yeah. In, um, and Malton Brown, I guess there must be a preservation order on it. And it, it exactly. kind of, you know, when, when you walk along those streets, it brings back so many memories, doesn't it? It's, mm. it's quite amazing because it was because it was an amazing street to work in. It was it incredible. Was. In the 80s, in it particular, was, it was incredible. Incredible, yeah. yeah. It was amazing. And there was that amazing sandwich bar, Apennino's, across the road. That's yeah. What it's called, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the, Enrico's or something like that. There were two of them, weren't Enrico's, there? But anyway, there was two. Yeah, yeah there, there was two. But that that one I used to love, and everything was vegetarian and modern brand. It was very, it was very, very. It was macrobiotic. Yeah. And I would go across there and sneak a bacon sandwich in. Uh, yeah, I hope it didn't smell on the way back. <laughs> I can totally relate to that. But one of the things I wanted to ask you about that was that. Now, this might say more about my focus at the time than what was actually happening. But, you know, for me, being a young hairdresser starting at Sassoon at that point in time, all the focus was on hair cutting. And yet here's you that at that beginning of that point in your career decided to go off into this new area, which essentially it was, of being a session stylist, being an editorial hairdresser. Yeah, so, yeah. So talk to me. About that, what did you see that that you know a lot of other people didn't? I mean, was it you know uh, it, it was an era of the focus was on the haircut, and you went off into dressing hair and doing photo shoots. So, so tell us about that transition well, I, and what was driving I, you. For me, it was. I mean, I I became very aware of fashion photography and the likes of Vogue and Bazaar, you know, in the mid seventies, early seventies, and I started looking at the hair and images and how important it was. And, and hairdressing was always important in fashion magazines. You know, it mm. was as important, if not more important, than hair cutting. It was, it was all about creating, using hair as a kind of medium for creating an image. And I was sent out on some photo shoots early on in Mont Brown when, when I think Kerry Warren must have been ill or overbooked us because Kerry was, Kerry was doing everything. And I got to help him a couple of times. And I mean, Kerry is one of the best hairdressers that ever lived to this day. So yeah. He's incredible. And um, so I don't know. I felt, I felt a spark from that, that I wasn't getting doing 12 clients a day in the salon. I think I, I was kind of, I, I just felt I felt the creative spark ignited, really. Yeah. Um, which I had felt in the salon, but then I suddenly realized there was a bigger flame for me out there. Yeah. And um I at the time, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely spot on. And a lot of people don't realize this. I have to keep telling people this is that the business as it exists today did not exist. There was nothing. There was there was a handful of small magazines. Most people doing hair on shoots were from a salon or they did hair and makeup. They did both. Or they did movies. There wasn't much, there, there was no money to be made in doing fashion magazines. There still isn't, let's face it. But mm -hmm. there was no real kind of commercial arm to it where you made money apart from going into 
the movies the, the, or TV commercials. And I didn't really want to do that. Um, but I could sense there was a new era coming because fashion was becoming more public-facing rather than – because fashion shows back then were – there were trade shows, you know. Yeah, I remember yeah. the first show I went to with Martin Brown, I think it was for the Emmanuels. And it was, we had, I think, eight models and I had two assistants or maybe one assistant. And there were, there were two of us, maybe three with eight models. I mean, that that, that would be a dream now. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a much smaller, there may be 40 people in the audience. They weren't allowed to take pictures. They had to do sketches. They sometimes weren't allowed to do sketches. You didn't see a single thing from those till six months later, till they were mm. in the shops. Yeah. Uh, and I guess they, there, were, there were people like Vidal and, and a couple of people at like Vidal Sassoon, John Frieda, Leonard, you know, there, there were that small coterie of people doing fashion magazines. And I could see... I could see there was something happening. I could feel it. You know, when you're young, you get a feeling for those things. Mm, mm. And uh, when, I remember when I left, so many people said, oh, my God, are you sure? Are you sure you're going to do that? There's going to be no work. But I think once you've learned to do hair, I thought, well, you know what? I can do a few clients. I can mix it up. And I used to drive around my little mini um, doing haircuts for, I think there were 12 pounds or something like that. And that that was fine. That kept me going. I mean, yeah. obviously, I didn't have a mortgage. It was it was you know free. I know I know I slept in my car a couple of nights. I know I did that. <laughs> and um, it was yeah. I mean, it was it was a it was a risk. Yeah. But yeah. I I'm still a big risk taker. I think you have to really you have to take those risks, or you're not going to get anywhere. You know. Yeah. And I thought, okay, I can cut hair. I can do hair. So if it all doesn't work out, I can go back in a salon, you know. Yeah. And you've always got that behind you. Whatever, whatever, wherever you end up, if you've learned a skill, you're always going to have that skill as yeah. a backup, you Definitely. know. And I took the risk, jumped, and, yeah, that was it. Never looked back. Did, did, did anyone? Yes, you... it was a risk. It was a business. It was a business that did not exist really. It was. Yeah. It was because, as you know, at the beginning of that decade, the models did their own hair and makeup. Yeah, exactly. Did did you mention Kerry Warren? Uh, did anyone take you under their wing, so to speak? I know. I know that everyone was sort of in the same boat. But was there any early influences that that sort of? you know, really helped you in that area, whether it was a hairdresser well, or an agent say, or a beauty editor or whatever? No, I, I, I have to say Michael Collis at Moulton Brown yeah. had a great holistic natural ethos and and he taught us to do hair with our hands mm. and not rely on heated tools and all yeah. that kind of stuff. So we used those Moulton Brown yeah, you know, foam rollers. We we used our hands to do almost everything. You, Even with towel dryer here, wouldn't you? Yeah, I would try and yeah. use our hands. So that that really, really was important to me to get my hands into it and not be reliant on uh, tools. So yeah. I think for me that was the one most important thing that I learned and I'll have to thank Michael for that because that that ethos was was amazing. Because yeah. it was kind of almost the opposite of of Vidal Sassoon. It was it was yeah, totally. sort of uh, yeah. it was going in a much more natural way. Which was kind of I guess it was the kind of 
the beginning. He was the first one to do that sort of natural hair products too, you know. Yeah. I mean, I mean, he was they were really ahead of their time there, you know. And I um I'm forever grateful for that. Yeah. Yeah. Now I know you uh spent a long time in New York as well, didn't you? I Doing, did, yes, uh, yeah. Right. How long were you there for? Ten years or something? Or more? No, I was in New York on and off for eighteen years. Right. Okay. And, I, but- I well, quite early on after I'd left Mont Brown, I I the, the girls, um Lister Barris and Anna Anna Harvey at British Vogue. Yeah. Um I worked with them at the beginning and they became kind of very loyal to me. You know how it is when you meet this is this is important for people starting now. You meet a team in the beginning, mm-hmm. so you become part of a little team, and that's very, very crucial because that that team can I still work with some of those. Uh, well, uh, those two women are no longer with us, but Lucinda Chambers, who was at Vogue in 1980, 1979, I think Lucinda was there. I still work with Lucinda to this day. Yeah. So you kind of develop these relationships and um they can be really crucial to your not just to the beginning of your career but to your entire career so so treasure those um but i i i had done a few jobs for british vogue and an agent called brian banter in new york had spotted them well the thing is a this this hair and makeup agency thing was quite new too there were a few in london but there was a much bigger industry in new york you know it was it was a the fashion industry was a commercial and creative hub, really, with lots of photo studios, and and they were kind of light years ahead of us. Yeah. And Brian asked me to go in to see him in New York. So off we went to New York for a holiday. And six months later, I had an agent, and I was doing lots of jobs out of New York. Uh, and that went on, on and off from 82 till about 2000. Yeah, Okay. Uh, you're really uh, renowned for not being a name dropper, um, and you've just touched on that whole thing about relationships and how important those relationships are. And uh, you're also renowned for having a lot of humility about you. You know, just like you, I mean, you're very easy to talk to about your background. You're very open, and you share a lot about your background. Um, what I wanted to ask you is: Do, do you ever get intimidated? You know, when you're a young hairdresser, I mean, you have done the hair of pretty much every iconic, you know, princess, movie star, model, you know, whatever over the course of the last 20, 30, 40 years. Do you you ever stand on set knowing that someone's about to walk in the door who, you know, is fame personified and and sort of feel oh my god i'm about to meet this person does that does that impact on you or does it just sort of like anthony where i grew up and how i grew up everyone's all the same and i just treat everyone as i find them and and that's the way people are i'm rambling let, let you. that's right i mean I, I don't know if intimidated is the word but i you certainly you know you certainly hope that someone's going to be nice and cool and 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 not uh and you're going to get along with them you know yeah, yeah. and sometimes it can be quite disappointing when they're not you know right okay it, it, you know but it, it, as far the, the thing that's the thing that probably i find a little intimidating is when people have 
a big entourage, you know, and you yeah. have to get through layers of people to get to them. I, I'm very much a one-on-one. I prefer dealing with the person. I, you know what? I tend to work with nice people, you know. I work a lot to this day and for many years with Kate Blanchett, Kate Moss, and I kind of gravitate towards like-minded people, if that makes sense. Yeah. I'm not really a... I'm not really a lover of drama, lover of diva, kind of. I, I, I don't think I don't sort of worship people and think, oh, I want to meet them and do their. I don't care. Have Have you ever been? I mean, you're not near no. a, a thirty anymore. No. So you've always pretty unaffected by it all and just you know take them as you find them, so to speak. Yeah, and if someone's a pain or the drama, I don't go back. You know, yeah. it's kind yeah. of it's I, you know. Really, I, I, I'm not into that. I'm just yes. not. I, some people love that. Some people like. I mean, I know, I know some people who do what I do, who absolutely love all that and thrive and all that. But that's yeah. not me, you know. Yeah. Okay. And that's, you know. Okay. Yeah. I, I was thinking. Before I mean, I'm not going to go into. I'm not going to go into sheep for some celebrities that have bow down and say, "Oh my God, you're amazing!" All that stuff. I've seen that done. That. Yeah. That's yeah. Me, you know? Yeah. Okay. Um, before we got on this call, I was thinking about about you and the things you've witnessed in your life, the people you've been privy to meet and see, but it's not just that you meet and see them, it's that you meet and see them at their most vulnerable, you know, backstage in their hotel room, in their bathroom, doing their hair, whatever. And, you know, you you famously, um, you know, did work with uh, Diana, Princess of Wales, for a long time and, and cut her hair, styled her hair, did some incredible, you know, uh, photographic shoots with her and travelled with her a lot. And, I, and I've heard you talk about that. And, and I realise that when you're talking about it, that there's another layer to this, which I've never considered, and, and that is that there's this layer that you are privy into glimpses into history and people like at a level that is really quite remarkable. I, I heard you talking once about Princess Diana and Mother Teresa in the same sentence and how you're in Pakistan or somewhere with them. And I'm and I'm just thinking, what an amazing opportunity that is that you're you're witnessing. Yes, in hindsight, neither of those ladies are with us any longer, but you're witnessing history really up close in personal in all their vulnerability does that does that impact on you at all uh don't know if it impacts i mean i, I mean i appreciate I, I appreciate how fortunate i was to actually meet the princess i wasn't and spend so much time with her and, and get to get to visit all those incredible places with her that i wouldn't have been able to 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 visit before I, if it wasn't for my job as a hairdresser, you know. Yeah, yeah. When you do someone's hair, it's an intimate relationship. You know, mm. it's it's kind of one away from a doctor, yeah. really. So it's yeah. an intimate, yeah. even it's probably closer than a doctor, you know. Yeah. Uh, because you're actually touching someone, you're in their space. And and it's but you have that inbuilt hairdresser's ability to kind of be distant from it at the same time. Do, do you know what I mean? To, to, to be involved, yet not involved, to be friends, but still clients, uh, to be to be 
respectful and to know when, just to know how to behave and to know how to, 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 to behave in someone's personal space, you know. But it's a two-way street too. And you, you, you must know that as well, that it's, you're in each other's space, you know. You see each other at, I don't know, five, six in the morning, you know. You know, you might be both a bit raw, vulnerable, as you say. So, yeah. so you, you can kind of unload a bit on each other. But I always say with me, things go in one ear and they're actually out the other, you know. It's kind of, <laughs> I've almost forgotten what you said. I'm, I'm a good listener, but I'm not going to hold on to anything, you know. It's, it's. And I'm not, I'm not being I'm not I'm not being sort of um, flippant when I say that. I mean, it's, it's I guess it's a coping mechanism for all of us, isn't it? It's that kind of um, you're not taking everyone's load home with you. You know, sure, it's, it's yeah. sort of, and that that's not just Diana. That's that's anyone whose space. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You're allowed into. You know, and and working with her. I mean, I guess. Because I'm not daunted and not sort of um, intimidated by those situations, I, I was never thinking of it as history. It was much more personal than that. Yeah. You know, I'm there to do a job to do someone's hair, and I get to do. I mean, she she explained to me once why, because she didn't have a huge entourage. She didn't have any makeup artists there, and she just she had really really difficult hair for herself to do. And I said to her once, look, your hair looks really good when you come out of the gym, when you don't do anything to it. Do you need me to come on these things? With you? She said, well, the thing is, she said, personally, no, I don't. But when I turn up to these things, people want to see Princess Diana. Mm. You know, they don't want to see me coming out of the gym. And I, I, she respected that sort of um, expectation of the people who, who idolized her, who, who made her who she was, yeah. who gave her the platform. So, and she had a total, total respect for that, you know? Yeah. And yeah. Um, I mean, and I was really, I mean, really in awe of that. But she was a, she was a really lovely, lovely woman mm. who liked to have a really good laugh mm. as well. So I think there are so many sides to different different situations, different people. But as a hairdresser, I think probably maybe why I've been around so long is is, is because I'm really respectful of people, you know? And I yeah. demand that back too. If yeah. someone's not respectful, then, then it's not going to work. It, sure. it's, a, it's, almost, it's, a, it's a collaboration, isn't it, really? Yeah. It's, not, it's not just you, whether they're a, you know, amazing, you know, high-flying personality or it's someone sitting in a chair in your in your salon it's very much a collaboration you know and yeah. some people say oh do whatever you want and that that's always a warning sign goes up there with me and some people say some people people bring in a dozen photos so people have different reasons for getting their hair done some people like it as a mask or a disguise some people like it as a, a weapon and it's it's a very it's quite a complex relationship yeah, yeah. Was there a turning point anywhere in your career where looking back on it, you go, that's where things went to another level? Quite a few, yeah. I mean, the, the, the kind of getting the agent in New York in the early 80s, that was one. And then when I started to shoot with Patrick de Marshall in the mid-80s and 
I mean, I started to work with American Vogue and British Vogue early on, but when the supermodels yeah. came along, not that we knew there were going to be supermodels, but there were just these gorgeous girls like Naomi and Christy and Linda and Cindy. When that started to build into this sort of phenomenon, you think, wow, there's a moment gone on here. And it was from that that I got to make The Princess of Wales. And then after that, I started to work with an incredible photographer called Nick Knight. And then I moved mm. back to UK and spent the best part of 20 years creating amazing images with Nick Knight, many of them with Kate Moss. I went on, uh, and, and also working with people like Vivian Westwood um, and Carl Augerfeld. I mean, there's like sort of continuous sort of yeah. episodes of my life, lots of them running concurrently. But I think, yeah, there's been a lot of those, but it's been a lot of, recognizing the opportunity and saying yes yeah, yeah do you know what i mean yeah i do i do you you just mentioned that era of the supermodels and then and then on the end tagged on uh kate moss who i know you work with a lot and you have a a, a yeah. close relationship friendship with her um what is it what is the magic that's because that is what it is isn't it, it, it it's that there's a there's a sort of a magic that makes a model go off just like Kate Moss, right time, right place, right look. Talk, talk to us about that magic ingredient that that sets one model apart from the next because she just exploded and is still like. I this think. I, I mean, there, there is no, there is no one magic ingredient, but it's a lot. It's a combination of all those things you just said. I mean, timing is everything because Kate at her height and her tiny size mm. 10 years before would never have got that opportunity. Yeah. Um, so the timing there is amazing. The, the camera has to love them mm. and they have to love the camera. They have to be very photogenic. And I have met so many incredibly beautiful photogenic models in my life, but they, if they don't understand how to work a a, a, a camera, mm. then it's not going to go much further, you know. And I think, this, and also with with all those women, there's a kind of there's another worldly thing about them. They they're really successful models are models who probably don't look conventionally pretty, you know, because you get some yeah. of your friends with a pretty daughter. Oh, do you think she could be a model? You go, she almost needs to be stranger there needs to be a kind yeah. of strangeness to them that that sets them apart from normal beauty yeah. if that makes sense that makes a lot of sense and that yeah. combination of that and personality you know yeah. and the personality has to come through so yeah. it's a combination of many things you know yeah. do, do you have a um or have you ever had a particular muse i mean we might have just been talking about it someone who encapsulates your trademark here is there, is there anyone that comes to mind no no i've never really thought of that no okay what what, no. what would what would you say your trademark here was how would you describe it to someone who didn't know god i don't know probably probably quite a broad yeah that's a broad spectrum really yeah. depends on who the client is you know yeah is there any particular era 
that was your favorite? Because I've heard you say before that you've grown up with this industry and you have, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s, you know, 2000, decade by decade by decade. When you look back on them, was there a, a, a decade that you go, that's, you know, a decade of hair or beauty that I love the most? No. <laughs> okay. Over there, that's right. No. Well, maybe that in yeah. itself is also one of those things that is, you know, you touched on this right at the beginning about you like to look forward. You know, um, yeah. when you talk about your yeah. longevity, it's it's not yeah. like dining yeah. out on some past thing. How no. would you how would you describe modern hair today? I think for me, modern hair today is about it. It, it really is no rules. It, yeah. There really isn't a one or two or three things that are modern hair. I think modern hair really is. Absolutely anything goes, you know. I think the rules are all broken and and I think that has filtered down from, you know, the lofty heights of fashion or, or you know, high end, I don't know. It's, 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 it's really is amongst the people now that you can do anything with your hair. I mean, yeah. you know, what, 10 years ago, blue, pink, green hair was, was still a bit of a, unusual yeah. thing to see now now it's just it's normal and i love yeah, yeah. that it's amazing you it's, know and i love that you can have you can have three different hairstyles in your head at the same time yeah. and that's amazing too you must see that as well you know you must, well it, yeah it's, totally it's, it's, of, it, 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 it's equally as amazing to have your hair and a big blow dry one day to a slick back chignon the next day and a short fringe the next day i think that for me what's really exciting now is about the possibilities of 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 having a different hairstyle every day or multiple times a day, and I think young people really understand that and embrace that. Yeah, and do you think that a lot of that's because of social media, whereas before fashion was I think the dictator of magazines? Social, social media for sure, and also the technology of new products has moved on so far in the last the last sort of couple of decades that. What 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 you kind of were restricted by in the eighties, you, you're not anymore. You know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, um, I know you had a long uh, working relationship with Karl Lagerfeld. Uh, so again, you know, looking at someone like him, sort of asking the same question I just asked about models, but now about designers, you could equally ask the same thing about photographers. What is it that sets that sort of genius aside, if I've got it right, you worked with him on collections for 12 years or something. Do you get an insight into what is it that makes someone a creative genius as a as a fashion designer? Well, for me, Carl, he wasn't your normal someone. He was, he was, there was only one. And I, I don't, we'll never see the likes of that again. You know, because yeah. Carl, Carl was so multi-talented he he, he kind of it was he was an amazing designer he was a great photographer he was a great artist his 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 illustrations were just fantastic he was a great cartoonist he could he could get someone's look in like four or five strokes you knew exactly who that was yeah he was a great reader he was a great raconteur he was an amazing entertainer he was a great cultural barometer as well. And he was an amazing, 
He was really funny. And he never stopped. I mean, he was relentless. He barely slept. He never stopped. It was quite, he was incredibly powerful. And he set the bar really high. He really, really did. And I had the pleasure of working with him in the latter part of his life, you know, from, from you know, the last 12, 15 years. And he was still, he was still designing six collections a year for Chanel. Four for Fendi, or three or four for Fendi, three or four for Fendi, and a couple for his Lagerfeld brand. I mean, it was, and he'd do freelance work as well. I mean, it was really, it, it was a, an absolute powerhouse yeah. of creativity. Yeah. yeah and I, he made us laugh all the time, too. So, so, right. um, yeah. Okay. Um, you were talking before about relationships and, you said how you automatically forget things that have been said straight away, et cetera. And you put a lot of emphasis on the importance of that. And I've heard you talk before about how in that room when you're doing someone's hair and when they're getting their makeup done and getting dressed before they go on set or go out to do a show, it is not just the hair that you're doing. It's that you're getting them ready psychologically for what they yeah. do. And I thought yeah. that was, yeah. in fact, I think you even said it's every bit as important or even more important yeah. that, that that's yeah. part of your role. Talk yeah. to us about that because I was fascinated by that. And, and I suppose... Well, I'm a great believer in, in, in hair. It's not just... Hair is not just going to make you look good. Yeah. Yes, we can do that easily, but it's got to make you feel good. E even if these models or actresses are portraying a character they have to feel like feel like the character they have to feel good about it mm. or it's going to show yeah. so because hair is it's the great it, it it it's a kind of great feel good um tonic isn't it it's it really can make you feel good or not about yeah. yourself well i mean i can't really speak for myself but i have had hair once so i do know how it feels um but it is it's equally as about making you feel good as looking good or maybe even more about feeling good you know because you if they don't feel good i can tell you know you're not feeling this are you let's let's change it let's do something else no okay and, um, let's let's just tweak it because sometimes a little tweak can make a big difference you know yeah like a yeah. like a changing of a parting or a just one piece in the, the right direction can make a huge difference. And that's the power we have yeah. to, to make change. Yeah. When you have young hairdressers working with you on your team and they want to be Sam McKnight, um, is that where they go wrong, that they don't understand the importance of those relationships and humility and understanding the psychology of you know that process that you're just talking about is that where they go wrong i don't know i don't know where they go wrong but i mean that, that kind of thing really kind of it comes from experience really doesn't it that in, in your youth you're not really thinking so you, you're too busy making your mark and you know you have to put this put your stamp on everything and I mean, I guess that works for some people too, but I never felt that that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. So I can't really 
speak for every young person. I don't know whether they go wrong like that, but it is, it's a common mistake that's made. But it, it's, it, it's a mistake that maybe once you've made a couple of times, it, it should click, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, maybe I need to do this, you know? I think it's that thing as well when you're a young hairdresser. You're learning all the time. I mean, for instance, these kids who are on the big blowout, I mean, one of them said to me on the last day, they said, I said, how has this been for you? And they said, this has been the most amazing masterclass for the last six weeks we've been recording this. And I thought, wow, that's that's fantastic that they've taken this away from it because it, it, it's really intense for everyone with all those likes and, and they've never been on TV before. They've never really been filmed like that before. And I mean, I, I, me too. It was, it was pretty intense for me too, but, but just, just the fact that they were learning something yeah. was really brilliant. I thought that was absolutely fantastic. I thought that is so the right attitude to have. And that's going to, that's going to take you through many years if you keep that attitude going. That yeah. constantly being aware and aware of people, aware of learning, all that kind of stuff yeah. is just as important as the hair. Okay. Uh, now, you and I were talking about the big blowout before yeah. we push the record button. So I was just gonna, I was just gonna start about. Uh, so you segued perfectly okay. into that. Uh, I just want to make sure our audience know that the big blowout okay. is a reality TV show uh, on E4, and it's about new hairdressing talent. Yeah, and uh, uh, you're a judge on it with uh, Lisa Farrell. Um, and it's fantastic TV. It's it's good reality TV. I mean, sometimes. TV shows about the hairdressing industry have not always been particularly positive. And this is this is positive and it does uh, uh, show the industry in a good light. So congratulations on that. Um, talk to us about the just give our, our, our listeners, because I know people in the UK have probably seen the show. Uh, outside of the UK, people will have no idea what what the sort of concept of that show's about. Can you just give us a sort of a broad outline of of what the purpose of it is? Um, and hopefully it does get exported to other countries as well, because it is good TV. Well, uh, oh, good. I'm glad you like it. Um, I love it. I think they've done a fantastic job. I got a message on Instagram just before Christmas last year um, from a lady who introduced herself as a a representative from Love Productions, who, when I Googled them, were responsible for the big bake, the, the, the Great British Bake Off, yeah. Sewing Bee, and the Great Pottery Throwdown, which are four hugely successful shows mm. in the UK. Now, I only told them after we had finished film, and I said, you know, you had me a bake off. <laughs> yeah. Because as soon as they said that, uh, okay, these guys, these guys are serious, you know, because I was a little concerned, and rightly so, that I didn't want it to be something that was shown and shown the industry in a bad light, which has happened before, as we know. Yeah. yeah. And I thought I don't want to get involved in it. But they they came and met us in the studio, they filmed, and they were very thorough. It was it was a little sort of three-hour session of them asking questions and filming. They were really thorough. And I liked them. And and I liked that they were planning to show 
the industry in a good light. So it was going to be celebratory. That that was the key word for me, that we're going to celebrate the industry because, you know, it's been through a hard time. Yeah. So, I, you know what, I took the risk. I took the plunge. I thought, you know what, it, I'm probably going to, I, I don't know if I'm going to like doing this or, I, I, you know, I, I might hate it. I might just hate it sort of being on camera all the time. And I signed up, took the plunge, and I loved every minute of it. It was a joy. Uh, Love Productions are so brilliant. Um, and, you know, they explained a lot to me beforehand. It was going to be a similar format to the, to the, to the Bake Off format, which they own. Yeah. And um, they were, the operation was so slick. They were so respectful, everyone. They, they were really looked after the, the stylists uh, and Lisa and I. AJ was just a dream. She was fantastic. I think we all found it really uplifting and joyous and i'm really glad you like it because you know you, you kind of don't know how it's going to up but I'm, I'm actually i never really i never listen to myself or watch myself or anything because I, I can't bear it but actually i've watched myself on the big blowout yeah and i actually really enjoyed it um yeah. really enjoyed the 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 I've really because I didn't really get to spend any time with the stylists because we're yeah. we, you know we're, we're not together in the same place because yeah. of the, you know that wouldn't really be right and um and so all we see of them is what you see of them. I mean yeah actually you see much more of them than I ever did okay um, we get to see their work but less of them and it was really really lovely to 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 get to know them through that as well and see the whole thing put together. I think Love Productions did a really fantastic job. And I think if I was a kid looking at that, I'd be thinking, oh, maybe I could do that for a living. And I don't think you see that much of that about you. You see a lot about makeup and fashion. You don't see a great deal of that. And I think it's definitely... It's definitely been uplifting, I think. Good. Do you, do you know if it's been uh, exported uh, to other countries or is it just UK? I, I have no I have no idea. Um, mm. I don't know. Um, so uh, I guess we'll find out about that when it's, when it's finished. I think the last episode is next week. Yeah, yeah, good. Okay. All right. Um, now, I want to talk to you about your products because TV is, as we said right at the beginning of this, you, you're more focused on the future. And uh, you're at a at a at an age and a point in your career where most people would be winding down. Uh, you yeah. seem to just be winding up and going from you know one job to the next to the next. Um, the TV thing is is fantastic stepping stone. And I know you've dabbled with products for a while, but you've now come back at it with a vengeance and really, you know, developed a product range over the COVID, you know, lockdown time and getting that out there. So, so, so talk to us about that. Well, we had, I mean, we, we had been developing that for a couple of years and we were kind of ready to launch just before COVID and then COVID hit and there was no point in doing it then. So I kind of took that time to, really look at what I was doing and what I wanted to do. And and as COVID went on, we, our manufacturer went bust. So, and I'm always a great glasses half full person. Mm -hmm. Um, And and as I kept saying from the beginning, 
we've got to look at this as an opportunity, not as a disaster. We've got to say, what, what can we, what can we, what can we do here? So what we did was we found a new manufacturer who we love and we reformulated everything. We tweaked everything. We made everything vegan. Um, and weirdly, an, an, another thing gluten free that customers had been asking about. So we, we just, and we repackaged and everything and recycled plastic. Um, and we're looking at actually, we've got an amazing plastic alternative yesterday moving forward. So we kind of, we're, we're not pushing ourselves as the green brand, but yeah. we really are looking at how we can make it better. And I'm really excited about the stuff I saw yesterday was amazing, the, the plastic um, alternative. Uh, which is affordable because it was never affordable before. I mean, one of the best things we did during lockdown, because we've been talking about doing some hair cleansing wipes for a while, cleansing yeah. cloths. Yeah. And we could just never do them because they were made from plastic. But we found a company who could make them from tree pulp cellulose, which which compost in six weeks. And they do because I put it in my own compost bin. Okay. Yeah. And that kind of thing really excites me, you know. Yeah. So we reformulated everything, and because I kind of, as as the lockdown was going on, I I kind of felt that I'd been on this merry-go-round of, you know, travel. I, I was away from home most of the time, and I really yeah. enjoyed the not traveling. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, I'm getting on in life. Certainly don't want to retire, but I feel like I felt like I want to do new things. Always want to do new things, mm. and I I thought okay, we've got it. And, and my products had all been self funded, so we went hell bent to find investors, really good and you know um, compatible investors um, to come on board and help us to take products which we had dabbled with and we had very successfully dabbled with. Yeah, so I'm like okay, guys. We got to get serious here about this because if we're going to do something, we do it 100% wholeheartedly and stop dabbling, uh, which is what we did. And mm. we'd launched in September. And I mean, you know, it's not been easy. Supply chain has been a. I can imagine. I was going to say the F word nightmare. Yeah. And, <laughs> um, but we've got there and we're, we're, I have a very small team. Uh, Eamon's been with me for 24 years and Valerie's been with me for 12 years. And we have, we now have Joel who's running it for us. So we have a small team of um, very dedicated people. And I mean, I couldn't possibly have done this on my own. And we've just been really, really giving it our all. Yeah, good, good. Well, they, they look up, been taken up most of my time. Yeah, um, but I've kind of and 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 also that that decision to um, give some time to other things because in my fashion merry-go-round, I think if I'd still been, you know traveling all the time i wouldn't have been able to do that i wouldn't have been able to do the big blowout mm. so i have kind of switched gear and given the products and we have some other projects on the go uh, my full attention yeah. i've not stopped doing what i was doing but i've we're kind of we've got a bit more balance now yeah. but we still did we did six great shows during fashion months instead of 16, you know, yeah, because yeah. I, 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 
I'm seeing this as a new phase in my life. Yeah, good. Fantastic. In a very positive way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, look, I know you haven't worked in the salon side of the industry for, you know, a long time, decades, uh, 20, 30, yeah. 40 years, whatever. But what are your what are your thoughts about the salon industry? What are your observations about the salon industry? How do you see it evolving over the next 10 years? I don't know. I mean, I have a couple of friends who have salons and it's not been easy. I, I mean, I see how really it hasn't been easy. Mm. And a lot of the, 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 the kids on the big blowout have salons. And, and, you know, I know it was a big thing for some of them to give six weeks up from a salon post-pandemic. So yeah. I don't know. I think I on, honestly don't really know much about that. But I think like retail, like we're having to do selling products, mm. I think they're going to have to offer more. You know, I think I think you're gonna it's you're gonna have to offer more of ex, an experience than just a product. Does that make sense? I, yeah, I no, think, it does. It I, does. Think the, I think the demands are going to be much higher if you want to stay in business. I think mm. I think it's not going to be easy. It really isn't going to be easy. But I I think. I think people are more and more interested about how they look than they've ever been before. Absolutely. I mean, far more people have professional hair color now than they ever did before. That's a massive thing. You know? mm. And lots of people have their hair styled now in a salon, whereas they used to just come from haircuts. And I think that's because a lot of my team that come and help us on shows work for salons they rent a chair or they do part-time and i think because of social media people are really interested in doing different hairstyles Mm. and i think salons are probably going to have to cash in on that they're going to have to move away from that one haircut every six weeks thing or or kind of expand that out you know mm. and cash in on because we have a we have a, a motto in our brand um because i i'm a great believer in that what's happening now what, what's happening now with celebrities and if i do red carpet or we do magazine shoots they want to see six different looks on the same person yeah. It's not about just doing one look over 10 pages. You made a, you made a, te- made a different look per page. Mm. Now, that can be created very simply or, you know, or complicated if you want, but it can be a very simple thing to achieve if you right. use the right easy-to-use products and tools, which we have developed. Now, we did a survey a couple of weeks ago, and we found that 82% of women only ever do one or two things with their hair. Now, my mission really is to change that. And I think that's probably, I think salons are going to have to get behind that. You know, they're going to have to encourage people to discover the possibilities of your hair. You know, mm. discover the, the the magic that hair can, the, the, the magic hair can, the effect hair can have on your mood, you know? Yeah, I yeah. think, and it's not just, it's not just about cut and blow dry. It's about, you know, braids, ponytails, updos, color, fake fringes, you know, just just embrace hair like the makeup industry has embraced makeup. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. 
Yeah. Okay. No. Good. Am, I, rabbit, am I rabbiting on now? No. 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 I'm. I'm intrigued uh, to get your your thoughts on it because you see it from a different perspective. I mean, everyone sees it from their own perspective, and your perspective yeah. is very interesting about that. So, and it definitely also links in with the changes in product technology. That what you can do now with hair because of the product that you have available is different well, to what you, you can, could do you can twenty years ago. Your hair. With product, you can change your hair instantly, yeah, temporarily. With products that are not going to damage your hair, that'll that'll wash out, and your hair will still feel great. You know, mm. it, it's it's really it's quite easy now. It's not as difficult as it was. You know, you could, you're not going to. We've tried to make products that are foolproof. That you know, you you can layer them on and brush them out. They're not going to. It's not going to be that mousse thing that goes on your hair and suddenly it's crispy. Um, and, and you have to wash your hair. It's yeah. not about that anymore. I think I think probably salons in my mind would do really well to really embrace that sort of hairdo. I mean, I've been saying this for years to kind of really make the most. I'm sure. I'm sure a lot of them do, but mm. I think they almost have to make that not mandatory. Make it sort of the norm for people just to go in for an updo or, a, or a, mm. something for a party or, or something, you know, I, I'd love to see that. Well, it's almost going full circle right back to when you started yeah. hairdressing where women used to go <laughs> back to a salon every week for a shampoo yeah. instead or whatever. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's the ethos. I'm, I'm not that. sure about, I'm not sure about keeping that shampoo set in for a week though. You yeah. Know, yeah. That may, maybe yeah. that. Change, yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay, well, look, we need to start wrapping up, but I've got a couple of quick fire questions here for you, just like a one sentence, oh. you know, answer. Um, first of all, I'm looking at you, and you've got this beautiful garden behind you. Uh, I wanted to ask you, did, well, first of all, do you work in the garden, or does someone do it for you? Because your Instagram for your garden is famous. Great, I've got, a, I've got a couple of great, great guys who come in on a Monday afternoon for four hours. Yeah. And yeah, they do a lot of the grafting, but I do, yeah, I do quite a lot. I grow all my own uh, annuals and veg from seed and I do all that and I do all my veg beds. Um, they do all the planting of the tulips because we've got 3,000 tulips going in next wow. month. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, I, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I do, I, I stopped going up the ladders if I'm on my own. Because yeah. I fell the other day, and I thought, <laughs> yeah, you know, well, I think my days have gone up ladders. <laughs> yeah. No one's here. That 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 that's 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 yeah. over. Yeah. Um, but um, what they do is because it's quite a big space that so someone needs to keep on top of it, and if I'm sure. away for a couple of weeks and I've yeah. missed it, so I'm kind of, you know, uh, planting a few bulbs, pottering about. Yeah, no, no, I do, I do quite a lot, but they yeah. do the kind of regular um yeah work yeah my favorite thing to do is i've got the, the walls are covered in climbing roses so yeah. i'm constantly um pruning roses tying them in shaping yeah. them doing all that kind of stuff it's a bit like hair it's not it's not um a million miles from that yeah yeah well it looks beautiful i often see it on your instagram and think how you know stunning it is i can see there's a lot of work that goes into it Okay, uh, what's your biggest strength, Sam? Just quick fire questions. My biggest strength is probably my resilience, my kind of my also, no, maybe I say what it is. It's 
definitely my positive positivity. I, I'm, I'm very much glass half full, and I try to take the positive out of every situation. Okay, this and is I so- think that's kind of kept, that's kept me going. Yeah, yeah. Well, that may answer this next question as well, which is how do you stay relevant? How do you reinvent yourself? What's the key to that? I don't know. I think I've got an instinct for reinventing, reinventing myself. I, I, I get bored with things. Mm. I get kind of, I think, ah, I sometimes reach something. Do you know what? I feel like I've done that. I, I want to yeah. move on. Yeah. I want to do something else. And I, I think I've got an instinct for knowing when the time, I mean, I'm not getting any younger. And I think, okay, if I want to do some more things, I need to do it now, Yeah. which is hence why we did the products. Yeah. And why I did the TV show and that kind of thing. So it's it's to, for me, it's about constantly doing new things. And I think that that keeps me feeling relevant. Whether I am or not, I don't know, but it certainly keeps me keeps you feeling relevant. Yeah. Oh, I think you're as relevant today. But I is... think, I think there's a, there is a there is a I mean I, the relevance thing, who you're relevant to. I think so long as you're relevant to yourself, you're yeah. fine, you know? Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. But your work, yeah, I mean, your work is as relevant today as it's as it's ever been. Um, what's, the, what, what's the biggest lesson that you've ever learned in life? It doesn't have to be hairdressing. Um, I guess the biggest lesson I've learned is that it's not all about me. Okay, that's good. I like that. Yeah, sometimes that, that was that that that's quite a big one, but that that came from experience, really, experience of kind of um, just a sort of realization. But hang on, it's this in this room that we're in. It's not just about me. My my whole life's work's about collaboration, yeah. and learning to collaborate was was a massive um, lesson for me. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What do you wish you were better at? Oh God, I wish I was better at delegating. Okay. All right. That's it. That's a wrap. So listen, let me just uh, wrap up here with everybody. Uh, first of all, Sam, whereabouts can people connect with you on Instagram or other social channels? Um, we are on. I'm on Instagram personally at Sam Night One, and the brand is on Hair by Sam McKnight. Right, okie dokes. Well, I will put those links uh, on our website, which is growmysalonbusiness.com, in the show notes for today's podcast. If you're listening to this podcast with Sam McKnight and you've enjoyed it, then do me a favor, take a screenshot on your phone and share it to your Instagram stories. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating and review on the Apple Podcast app. So to wrap up, Sam McKnight, thank you ever so much for being on today's episode of the Grow My Salon Business podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you'll find us at growmysalonbusiness.com or on Facebook and Instagram at growmysalonbusiness. And if you enjoyed tuning into our podcast, make sure that you subscribe, like, and share it with your friends. Until next time, this is Anthony Whitaker wishing you continued success.